Hey everybody, this is Chris at the tip of the cap, and I just wanted to remind everyone that we have multiple ways to get a hold of us to tell us your stories or just to reach out. And don't forget, we have a list of questions for you guys to answer so you guys can help us create content for our show. Our email address is the tip of the cap podcast at gmail.com. That's a period, tip period, of period, the period, c period, a period, p period, podcast at gmail.com. Our phone number is 304-769-9131. You can follow us on Facebook at a Tip of the Cat Podcast. And our Twitter is at a tip of the C underscore A underscore P. And you can also message us from their Facebook page. You don't have to give us your name if you don't want to. We'll keep it out of the stories if you don't want it out there. But we do like to credit anyone who sends in the stories. All right, now, to the five questions. Number one, do you believe in cryptids? If so, which cryptids? If not, why? And have you ever seen a cryptid? Question number two, do you believe in aliens? If so, why? If not, why? And have you ever seen a UFO or an alien? Question number three, Do you believe in the paranormal? If so, why? If not, why? And have you ever experienced anything paranormal? Question number four. If you had to see any of the three above, the cryptids, aliens, or paranormal, which would you and why? Question number five. Which of the three would you mostly be afraid of and why? All right, guys, that's the five questions. Thanks, guys. We'll be waiting for your answers. Welcome to the Tip of the Cap podcast, where we show love and, of course, tip our cap to cryptids, aliens, and paranormal. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Tip of the Cat podcast. This is part two of our West Virginia cryptids, also known as Project Country Roads. So here we go with Project Country Roads 2, Electric Boogaloo. (laughs) Today we have five more cryptids from the Mountain State. The Blue Devil, the Stone Man, the Vegetable Man, the Grafton Monster, and last and certainly not least, the Mothman. As always, I'm your host, Chris, and with me is my co-host. Howdy. That's Corey. She didn't say her name. It's okay. Howdy. Alright, so we're going to start off with the Blue Devil. In the winter of 1939-40, to in Webster County, between the towns of Jumbo and Grassy Creek, a cluster of sightings of this beast was reported. Describes described as a bluish dog-like creature larger than a pony that emitted a ghostly howl. 
as it prowled the night. It was said to be responsible for a number of deaths to livestock during this time. It then was spotted in the neighboring county of Randolph, where the people offered a $400 reward for its death. Jumbo resident and farmer John Clevenger was one of the first reports. He claims in December of 39, his valued hunting dog was attacked and killed by the beast. Another farmer, Ernest Coger, said his livestock had been spooked for several nights and some wild animals had attacked and killed one of his cattle and sheep. A few miles from Jumbo and Diana, Mrs. Cunlip claims to have heard an inhuman screaming coming from outside her house. And in Hacker Valley, H.A. Anderson heard something that sounded like a panther. Attracted by the reports of this creature, hunters from Webster Springs and Buchanan in Upshur County and from the state capital of Charleston showed up. A group all the way from New York also showed up. They were the only group to have any luck whatsoever, only to have their dogs hit on something on the trail and have it stop when the dogs would no longer proceed to follow. Newspapers around the state reported on the panic as it was merely a joke. The sighting spread to Randolph County in 1940. Then the Charleston Gazette reprinted an article from the Elkins Inner Mountain where it was referred to as a varmint and wishfully may represent proof that the Panthers still stalk West Virginia. Locals who didn't think of it as a joke set out to hunt the beast. Several claimed to have killed the beast. The first, Glenn Fisher, said he shot and killed the beast and it disappeared before it could be inspected. Coal miner Elmer Corley killed something that Webster County Game Warden C.T. Whitaker said it was not a coyote but resembled one. He collected the reward and told the area residents the Blue Devil was dead. And no further reports happened after that. The next year, the Webster Republican published a story about a similar countywide hunt in 1897 where it was reported that the last gray wolf in West Virginia was tracked down and killed after it had killed 27 lambs. Hopes were to convince the people that it was simply another wolf-like creature and the myth of the devil would be over. So, what do you think about that one? I don't know. I mean, so there have been no like sightings recently of no. this? Yeah, uh, this, is, this is an old school. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? I honestly think it probably was just uh, a, wolf. a wolf or something. Yeah, I mean, that's what I think too. And maybe it was a different, I don't know, some kind of species or some kind of variant that uh, that is not common or, um, I don't know. But I definitely think it, it falls along those lines. It's crazy the legends that people have. Like, n not crazy, but crazy how many that legends there are about things like this. And honestly, I think this one probably has probably the most real realistic story behind it. Because, I mean, it could honestly just be right something simple that yeah. was misidentified and lived on. Yeah. I agree with you. Alright, so next we're going to go with The Stone Man. The Stone Man is basically West Virginia's Bigfoot. Um, 
came from a Cherokee term that meant dressed in stone because this creature was gray in color and um, the Native American weapons couldn't pierce its skin. Um, it also uh, seemed to love to throw small boulders at settlements and camps, nice hence the name Stone Man. Now, um, I couldn't find a whole lot. I mean, you can clearly find a lot of stuff about Bigfoot. I couldn't find a whole lot about Stone Man in West Virginia, but I did find one thing that kept coming up over and over, and that was a book. And it's called Tracking the Stone Man, uh, West Virginia Bigfoot by Dr. Russell L. Jones. And this book was really interesting, and I kind of liked his take on everything, so I thought it was worth mentioning. Um, he's a chiropractor near Charleston. He grew up in Ohio. He was an avid outdoorsman uh, with his dad. And he had his own experiences with Bigfoot when he was growing up. Um, he's a naturalist and a Bigfoot hunter. He's science-minded. He wants evidence um, that's hard and unquestionable. Um, he says he does believe in Bigfoot. He just understands that there's very little evidence. So he considers Bigfoot to be a yet-to-be-discovered species, which I appreciate that. Um, he says that West Virginia is a great place uh, for Bigfoot because we have 2,500 species of plants, um, a moderate rainforest in places, which is called, I think it's mesophytic, is the way you pronounce it. And he also says that West Virginia is the only state in the lower 48 that contains tundra, which is permanently frozen subsoil. And if you're wondering, because Chris was, where is that? It's like around Dolly Sods. A really cool place if you've never been there. But that's where this permanently frozen subsoil is. And we also, here in West Virginia, have some of the most extensive cave systems in the United States, as most of us know. So in short, West Virginia is the perfect place for the Stone Man, or Bigfoot. And Chris is a Bigfoot nut. So Bigfoot's going to get a lot of attention and this podcast as you'll find just in the coming a weeks little, just a little <laughs> so um and and really again I, that book was really interesting and i really like that guy's take because i can appreciate something being believed in like you know he really he had his own experience with his dad and he believes that somewhere out there's a bigfoot but he knows it hasn't been discovered yet Right? Like, he's seen evidence, but he knows there's not enough to say it's been discovered. Right? And I can respect that. Like, I, I get that. He's very science-minded, which I appreciate. I've listened to him on a lot of podcasts. I really, really enjoy listening to his stories about everything. And I just love the fact that uh, we're getting help from Dr. Jones. <laughs> Different one. I mean, we he may... Go by Indy. I don't yeah, know. that's true. That's true. That's true. Anyway, there there will be more uh, on Bigfoot. Much, much more, probably scattered all across the tip of the cap uh, podcast in weeks to come. Okay, so I don't think you guys are ready for this one. Um, the Vegetable Man. What? Yes, the Vegetable Man. Not me. Like when we have the roast. 
but the vegetable man. Okay, so I think this may be the wildest story of the whole list, and that's saying something. Anyway, still interesting, and it's West Virginia, so here we go. It was the late hours of a July 1968 day when Bo Hunter and U.S. Air Force vet Jennings Frederick was about to finish up his day of hunting when he had an encounter that was bizarre. How bizarre. He heard a sound that was compared to the high-speed jabbering, like when you play a recording at a higher speed than normal, what we always call the chipmunk speed. As he looked up and saw one of the strangest-looking things ever reported, Frederick said suddenly there was a being with the semi-human facial features, long ears, and yellow slanted eyes. Its arms were no bigger around than a quarter. I mean, that's tiny. Yeah. <laughs> um, its body resembled the stalk of a plant in shape and color, and it was slender and green. So, so it was a big piece of celery. But basically, it looks like, yeah, a stalk of celery or something. Really? <laughs> Frederick says it appears to have three exceedingly slender seven-inch fingers with a syringe-like protrusion at the tips. The needles are maybe thorns tapered down into suction cup shapes where the first knuckle would be on a human finger. After listening to the sounds coming from the creature, Frederick made out what it was saying, and this is what he heard. You need not fear me. I wish to communicate. I come as a friend. We know of you all. I come in peace. I wish medical assistance. I need your help. Captain Broccoli here is in trouble. So he yeah. needs some help. Before he could even react to what the creature said, it whipped one of his arms toward him and wrapped his long fingers around his hands with alarming strength. At this time, the thorn or needles stuck in his skin, sending excruciating pain up his arm. Streaks of crimson began to leach into the creature's yellow eyes. The crimson and yellow began to swirl together, creating orange circles that were hypnotic and seemed to alleviate Frederick's pain. He couldn't feel the pain, but he could feel the blood being extracted from his veins. The process lasted less than two minutes, but the experience haunted Frederick the rest of his life. After the vegetable man had released the stunned victim and had its fill of the blood, it turned and sprinted up the steep embankment covering over 25 feet with ease. As it disappeared, the throbbing pain shot back into Frederick's now pockmarked hands. As the pain came back, so did the overwhelming sense of panic. He ran away from the scene and heard a deep humming, which he thought may be a craft, for the creature, but he never saw it. Frederick decided to keep the story to himself in fear of ridicule that would surely follow after the event. He told his family the marks on his hands had came from a briar patch. Some years later, he was having trouble living with the secrets and revealed his story to paranormal investigator and author Gray Barker. Barker had investigated the Flatwoods monster, the Mothman, and introduced the world to the Men in Black phenomenon. He recorded Frederick's testimony and published it in a newsletter in March of 76. In 78, it would be included in a book by Brad Steger called Alien Meetings. To this day, no other sightings have been reported. And that is the Vegetable Man. I don't know what to say about that. 
<laughs> like I could hear your eyes roll as I was reading it. I just I don't uh, I'm not I'm not sure what to say about that. Honestly. Yeah, I mean that's that's really wild. That's crazy. Like I don't know. Like I, I've seen some drawings of what it should look like. Does it look like a big piece of celery? Uh, because that's what I that's what I envision in my head. Oh, looks like a big scary piece of celery. <laughs> right, it makes me not want to eat celery yeah. for sure. Well, I mean, I mean I celery, like celery makes me not want to eat celery, yeah. but this definitely doesn't make me want to eat it. Put some ranch on it; it'd probably be better. No, I don't even like ranch. There's his fingers. Yeah, they look like no. That is terrifying. So he sticks the the thorns or needles or whatever into the into your body, and then the little suction cup knuckles. Does it turn you into a vegetable? Or does it kill you? Like, what's the purpose? Does it say? Uh, no, I mean, I, he's, I don't know if he was just lying to the dude. To Frederick, I don't know, because he said he needed help. And maybe this was his way of, uh, I don't know, re-energizing. I don't know. His photosynthesis or what? <laughs> okay, alright. That was really freaking weird. Like, I don't even know. Usually you can attribute it to some other kind of cryptid, but there's no there's no way to attribute that to anything else. Yeah, think. Vegetable Man is clearly, I think, the wildest yeah. West Virginia story. That's crazy. Did it say the last time there were sightings or anything? That was the only sighting. Oh. Yeah, never again. They happen to be like, do they happen to have another... Uh, crop on their farm that they were growing and possibly smoking? Uh, no, that would be the weed man. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, I don't know. That's weird. Very scary. Yeah, I think uh, that would probably be, out of all the things, too, that may freak me out the most. I mean, yeah, we, I but mean, I mean, I also think that's uh, like the least believable. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. I mean, of the what we've talked about so far, that's the least believable. Oh, you know, yeah, for the, sure. The for blue sure. devil is probably a wolf. Stone right. man is definitely Bigfoot. The, the um, Oceana monster... Bigfoot. ...is you. The... I mean, you know what I mean. There's something... There's other cryptids to be attributed to all these things except that one. That one's kind of crazy. Yeah, he's a one-off. And he might... I, I, I put him in the cryptids, but... I'm, I'm leaning more towards alien. You would. I mean, he I mean, he said he heard the humming sound like a craft. He didn't see it, but I mean, that seems more like something that wouldn't be. That seems more like something you'd see on Scooby Doo. Back to the Weed Man. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> ruh, ruh. <laughs> How about we move on? Okay. So the next one is the Grafton Monster. On June 16th, 1964, in Grafton, the birthplace of Mother's Day, for those who didn't know, a young reporter for the Grafton Sentinel named Robert Cockrell had just finished up his evening shift around 11 p.m. He was headed home for the night on Riverside Drive, a familiar road that follows the Tigret River. It was a clear night, and he was doing around 50 on the road, where he was basically alone. He rounded a curve to a straight stretch that was a mile long. His headlights hit something he knew was not right. He said it was huge white obstruction 
on the right side of the road standing between the road and the river on a cleared off section of grass. He then realized that it's, it wasn't an object, but a beast, the likes of which he had never seen before. He had slowed to get a better look. He said it stood seven to nine feet and was about four feet wide. And it was stark white with slick seal-like skin were a covering that looked like skin. What? <laughs> and get this, it had no head. Uh, okay, what? If you see, like, drawings of it, you, it makes a little more sense. Yeah. But I'm gone. I don't think it was completely headless. But, uh... Oh, I see. So his head's kind of... Well, yeah, that's, that's what a, it... It looked shoulders. like it just had, like, really jacked, like, Brock Lesnar shoulders, and its head was down in it. It wasn't, like, full down in its chest or whatever, but it just looked like it didn't have a neck, basically. Right, and so plus, I mean, yeah. it, was, it was on the side of the road, and he was dipping. So we're talking about Albano Bigfoot here. Uh, I don't know. I don't think a Bigfoot because uh, the oh, yeah, the skin is like seal-like skin right? and stuff like that. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe not. Take it back. I'm sorry, Bigfoot people. Okay. Uh, the thing didn't move, but Cockrell said he could tell it was alive. So what does he do? The same thing we all do. He dipped, <laughs> booked it back home. When he got home, he wanted to barricade himself behind the door. After he'd calmed down, he realized that being a reporter, he should have tried to do some investigating to report the object. So he decided to go back, nope. but not alone. Nope. He got two of his friends, Jim Mouser and Jerry Morse, to go with him. When they got back to where they had spotted the, where he had spotted the creature, it was gone. So they searched the riverbanks for a few hours and found nothing. There were no tracks, but the grass was mashed down where Cockroll had first spotted the beast. While searching, they could hear a low whistling coming from the direction of the river. It seemed to follow the three men, but they couldn't see anything. The next day, when Cockrell returned to work, he was reluctant to say anything about what he'd witnessed the night before because people would think he was crazy or was trying to hoax everyone. However, once again, being a reporter, he felt he had to. He told his editor and he didn't take it seriously at all. So his two friends, Mouser and Morris, who were really fascinated by the idea of the headless monster on the loose, told as many people in the town as they could. Shortly after that, monster hunting parties formed, and the teens from the town, armed with bats, mallets, crowbars, flashlights, and whatever else they could find, set out looking for the headless horror. The parties looked all around Riverside Drive, especially where Cockerell had seen the beast. And after that, 20 more sightings were reported. Someone even suggested it was an escaped polar bear. I had no idea where the polar bear had ended up in West Virginia, unless it was from Lost. With all the people out looking and more reports coming in, the Grafton Sentinel interviewed some of the searchers and printed a story on the 18th titled, Teenage Monster Hunting Party's Latest Activity on Grafton Scene. Spoiler alert. It was not taken seriously by the paper. But the people of Grafton were intrigued and wanted in on the monster hunting. It was said that more than 100 people were involved in the hunts, some with loaded weapons. Riverside Drive was packed with bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic, and some pulled their cars off the road to look for the monster. No sightings are reported. But with the amount of people and loaded weapons in the 
in the area, state, county, and local police undertook their own investigation and also found nothing. The next day, on June 19th, the paper once again printed a story and alleged the monster was a result of spring fever. Spring fever. The lack of recreational facilities and wildly imaginative teens and the recent publicity given to a Michigan town that claimed to have a monster. A Bigfoot-like creature. Nothing like the creature cockerel saw. Spring fever. I hope I don't get it this year. The Sentinel stated the monster was an individual pushing a handcart full of boxes. Does that make sense? And with the poor light, I mean, it, monster or person, either, either one of them makes sense, but come on now. I guess it was swamp gas or a weather balloon. Or a cave troll. Do we have cave trolls? The Sentinel stated the monster was an individual pushing a handcart full of boxes and with the poor light, it was mistaken for the monster. It's stated that it's fairly certain that monsters don't go around pushing handcarts loaded with boxes. I mean, clearly, if you've learned anything, monsters don't go pushing around handcarts, and one does not simply walk into Mordor. Can't say we didn't teach him anything. After that article, the monster hunting died down, but Cockrell quietly pursued the investigation on his own. He found reports of a creature matching his description up and down the Tigert River and as far north as Morgantown, about 25 miles away, that was before his sighting. He didn't publish any of the findings, but contacted, guess who, Gray Barker. He told Barker it was not a figment of his imagination or a practical joke. Barker drove to Grafton from Clarksburg, that was 25 miles west, and interviewed Cockrell and was going to write the case up for his UFO magazine. He only wrote the draft and never published it. He saved the letter, notes, and newspaper clippings, and they are all on file in the Gray Barker collection of papers housed in the Clarksburg Public Library. Road trip. Yeah, that's interesting. And that's all we have on this crazy look i think that is more believable than vegetable man right hear me out because and i joked and said we have a cave troll but seriously like i don't know that wouldn't surprise me to have some kind of creature that lived in a cave system and seemed to have white skin because it's been sheltered from the light for so long you know what i mean like uh I don't know. I'd be interested uh, to read those papers. The, yeah, I kind of go against that though. I'm I'm more of the. Of course uh, you do. No, I think more of it's uh, aquatic. I think in the river system, that's why it's got like seal-like skin. Mm. There's crazy stuff in these waters. I mean, w I mean, we talked about the agua. I know, but it does seem awfully big to be in a river. Right. I don't know. What do you guys think? Let us know who's right, Corey or Chris. Who do you go with? Who do you side with? Also, in in our uh, in our whole ten cryptids that, uh, that we're covering, uh, a lot of them were in Fallout. Yeah. So, I mean, if you played Fallout, I mean. I bought it, but I heard it was trash. I just wanted to see it because it was West Virginia. Um, but uh, 
Mothman, Grafton Monster, Flatwoods Monster. Uh, I think something else was on there. But they were all in that game. So, I mean, I may still give it a playthrough just to see if I can find them. All right, so that's that's 9 of 10. So, the man of the hour. Yeah, the 10th is um, actually our good friend, the Mothman. And um, I didn't actually write anything up on the Mothman because uh, I don't want to give anything away for the future Mothman episodes. And I do say episodes because it will probably be more than one. So we're just going to do kind of a quick... Kind of a quick touch on the Mothman. He deserves much more, and he'll get it. But the Mothman is probably the best-known cryptid of West Virginia. And I actually work in Point Pleasant. Um, I'm a nurse at a long-term care facility in Point Pleasant. And so I drive past the Mothman statue every day that I go to work. Uh, Chris and I have been to the Mothman Festival. And... Um, you know, he seems to be a, he has described as a harbinger of gloom and doom, uh, apparently foreshadowing the, the collapse of the uh, Silver, Bridge. Silver Bridge in Point Pleasant. I'm not sure of the year, but um, again, we'll go into specifics at a later time. But uh, Mothman has also been spotted in other places like Chicago and... I think, uh, well, I don't know what I think. What do you think? What I think, else, what I do think, you have to say about I think a lot of things about Mothman. Like, some days I'm, like, super about it. <laughs> and I think, yes. And then other days I think, uh, that maybe could be some misidentification going on with some things. Yeah. I know you also... I know a lot of times you go alien, you go towards alien sides to some of these cryptids that we've talked about. Like you, that they, like maybe they may be part alien. But I know that we were coming home from wrestling. Wasn't it wrestling? Yeah, I think. That we had gone to in Cincinnati or Columbus? Columbus. Okay, so we were coming home from wrestling. It was really late at night. We had to come down 35 was 35, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. The old 35, not the new, because it wasn't ready yet. Um, and we were talking about Mothman. It was late. And it was just the weirdest thing, because I felt like all of a sudden we were being followed. We kind of heard, wasn't it like a whistle outside? Like I, I don't even know how to describe the noise it was. It was just... An odd noise. It was a weird noise. We checked the windows. All the windows were rolled up. And I swear, I just, I don't know what it was. But it was weird that we were just talking about the Mothman. And it got kind of a creepy feeling. Like I said, like, it just felt like something was outside of the car. And it was keeping up with us. And it was just a, a really weird noise. It was crazy. Maybe it was like Beetlejuice when we said Mothman three times and he showed up. I mean, it could be, because we probably did say Mothman three times. At least. And, you know, the time we went to the Mothman Festival, we were coming back from a comic book convention in Cincinnati, and we stopped at the Mothman Festival on our way back, and it was towards the end of the, the hours of the festival. And do you remember all the birds in the sky? Like, when we parked, 
Like there were thousands and thousands of blackbirds. Right at the statue. Right there. Yeah, yeah it was it, it was super creepy. Yeah, it was very creepy. So we've had a couple creepy, kind of weird, Mothman-ish experiences. Um, but, I mean, we have Mothman shit all over the house. We have t-shirts. We have... We have all kind. Of, we have signs. We have pop figures. Pop figures. We have all kinds of Mothman stuff. We're we're fans, so I mean, I wouldn't particularly want to see him in person, um, but still, it's nice to have uh, um, a famous cryptid from the Mountain State. Also, uh, back to you calling me out on aliens. Uh, there was a lot going on in Point Pleasant at that time as far as UFOs and other stuff going on. So it's not too far-fetched on that one to maybe lean towards alien. But does that mean that you say that it is far-fetched on other ones? Because you said it isn't too far-fetched on that one, which means maybe it's far-fetched on other ones, like Bigfoot. And... So, I, I mean, that's just, just a question. That's that's not my theory about Bigfoot. I mean, that's just one of the theories about Bigfoot. I'm not saying that's what I think. Because I don't know what I think about Bigfoot. I think he's real. That's the only thing I think for sure. Well, um, have you been to the Mothman Museum or gone and seen the statue? Apparently, there's a thing where people like to go and touch his butt. Uh, which I didn't know was a thing. But, um, apparently... That is actually a pretty popular thing. Because Mothman has pretty much a great butt. The statue. Yeah, because we don't know if Mothman actually had a butt. Right, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, if you have any stories or any comments or, or your own thoughts on uh, Mothman or any of these cryptids that we've talked about in Project Country Roads, uh, just get in touch with us. And we'd love to hear from you. And it can be anonymous. You can leave your name. It doesn't... Uh, if you want to talk on the air, we'll even uh, let you talk on the air. So, uh, go back to Chris. All right, I think that's going to wrap up episode two of our Tip of the Cat podcast and Project Country Roads. So, thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys whenever we can get another one out. Toodaloo.